grace and peace. Um, that was really, that was beautiful. That was a holy moment. Thank you, um, team, for leading us in that. And thank you, all of you, for engaging. Um, yeah, it was, it's just, I don't know, it's just something about church. It's a unique space in the culture, you know, a place to um, come and hopefully be honest. You know, if anything else, let's be honest and real about what's going on and come to God in that way. There's something, I don't know, something really um, meaningful about that and, and doing that with other people. You know, with this culture, we can be so kind of isolated in our own little worlds, going through our own things, not wanting to burden others. And so just that chance to come together in this way, um, yeah, it just, it means a lot. It means a lot. So, um, well, I'm, I'm so good that you all could be with us and uh, a warm welcome to those who are new uh, as well as those joining us online. We love y'all lots. And um, we are in a series right now that's, uh, it's been going for a while. We, we're in uh, part eight of our, of our series, Deconstruction, Finding God Again. And uh, if you're familiar with that, that word, deconstruction, um, kind of at least what it's come to mean in, in our culture in the context of like religion and such is uh, it's really kind of a season of, of doubt, a season of wrestling, of um, kind of questioning, received, kind of inherited beliefs. Um, and so the first really probably six, six or seven weeks of this, um, or six weeks of the series, was really um, taken up with doing a lot of deconstructing of kind of um, inherited Christian belief. Uh, and that's often what folks are kind of going through. Uh, is wrestling with certain theologies, um, certain ideas that we've, you know, um, kind of maybe grew up with or even just kind of got through the culture. I, I know someone who um, attends the table who has, like, before the, the table's their first church to ever go to, um, and yet even they had to go through a season of deconstruction because just in the culture they picked up ideas about God, about Jesus, about church, and what church folks thought and maybe God thought of people like him, and, you know, there's like a whole thing to kind of work through, even in Groban Church, you know, so this is kind of a thing that we, we often um, find ourselves going through, a season of deconstruction, so the series is kind of helping us do that, kind of engage deconstruction, engage some reconstruction, um, so that was a lot of the first six weeks. I've kind of started to shift now. Last week, this week will be the same, um, next week will be similar, um, that I'm, I'm kind of starting to take us uh, away from putting that kind of laser beam of deconstruction onto like Christian ideas and theology, um, what we might call um, certain like bad theology in Christendom, which there is, uh, there's plenty. I think there's a lot of good as well, um, but there's some bad for sure. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're kind of redirecting that beam to um, what we might call kind of so-called secular culture, um, this idea, you know, of the the place, like if you leave church, you leave religion behind, and then you're just, you know, a person in the culture. It's sort of like that's kind of the waters um, that, you know, all of us at some level kind of swim in. And um, I think what's interesting is that, um, you know, for even for churches like ours that are going to be really open to folks like deconstructing and, you know, wrestling with Christian belief and not just, you know, accepting everything, um, I think a little bit of the trick is that it's pretty, it's, it's easy to kind of um, slip into a mode where we are kind of in constant deconstruction mode and quite stringent and difficult, as maybe we should be really thoughtful with church theology, but kind of almost skeptical, like, oh, I don't know about this, and yet so kind of open and almost naively um, sort of optimistic about 
theology and philosophy and ideas that are not church. It's almost like we're kind of leaving church and Christian culture behind such that we're so grateful to kind of deconstruct and like, okay, I'm just out of here, that whatever we turn to next, we're like, yes, I love you. You know, it's almost like a, maybe a marriage of sorts. We've struggled in the marriage. It's been hard. It's been difficult. And so that comes to a close. And of course, the next relationship is just like, this is going to be great. They're perfect for me. You know, and it's like, well, tap the brakes a little, you know, we get a little overeager. So that's kind of what I'm doing these last few weeks is trying to get us to think a little bit harder about um, kind of secular culture and, um, and not be too naive in our embrace of that as we um, maybe deconstruct Christianity. Does that, does that kind of make sense? So like last week we talked about consumerism and the way that can start to function as a very strange religion in our lives. Kind of has this vision of the good, and we like live into it, and you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a strange North Dallas religion. Um, so the title of my message tonight is Deconstruction and the Sacred. Um, Deconstruction and the Sacred. And I, I want to talk about the way that, um, that we often, I think, can kind of um, leave God behind or even kind of deconstruct the idea of God and not necessarily think through um, the ways that that also means that, that the sacred, the holy, like all those categories sort of also go out the window. And we often don't quite think that through. So that's kind of what this message is going to be, an extended exercise in trying to kind of think that um, through. So I want to start with uh, a text. This is from Genesis chapter 4, um, and uh, it says this, Adam made love to his wife Eve, yes, that is in the Bible, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, and she said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man, and later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought uh, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's quite a chilling image, isn't it? It's almost like, a, like, an, like some sort of animal kind of crouching at the door, you know, some, some sort of, or even a predator person who's sort of behind us. You open the door and you don't see what's behind, you know what I mean? Sort of a creepy horror movie image in a way. Sin is crouching at your door. You must rule over it. Verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This, of course, in the biblical narrative is the the first murder. Because this is, you know, we have Adam, Eve, their two sons, Cain, Abel. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's a, 
it's a powerful story. This is, um, I think, honestly, one of the high points in just like Hebrew kind of poetry, mythology stories. Like it's incredibly, I mean, it says so much. That whole story was, you know, like 10 verses, just like, I don't know, 12 or 13 sentences and just boom. Like it just gives the whole narrative. Incredibly powerful. Um, so I want to unpack this a little bit. Obviously, Cain invites his brother Abel. Well, there's jealousy, there's envy going on. Um, this kind of rivalry among brothers, which isn't um, unusual. And, uh, and so he invites him, he, like, let's go out to the field, right? And of course, this is showing it's premeditated, right? He's thinking this through, and specifically, he wants to get Abel away from the other prying eyes. Um, but at the end of the story, what do we find out? Well, we understand that, uh, well, Cain really learned what, what the psalmist in Psalm 139 said, which is, um, you know, Lord, where, where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the highest heights, there you are. If I go down and make my bed in Sheol, there you are. If I go east, if I go west, if, if I hide in the darkness, even the dark is not, is not dark to you. I mean, you see. And that's really what Cain finds out, is there's no hiding, right? It's like God sees, God sees. Um, but then there's that closing line, which is really what I want to focus on tonight. Your brother's blood, it cries out to me from the ground. Um, this, I think this is, this is saying something more. This is more than simply like God sees, um, or even, you know, there will be justice. Uh, what, what does this mean? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's almost as though God is saying, look, Cain, your brother was not just something. He was someone. He, he was holy. Like, he was my creation, Cain. Like, he was my creation. I'm the creator. You are my creation. He was my creation. This brotherly bond, this relationship that you have, is like, this is something sacred. This is something holy. This, this, is, this is something more than even what we tend to think of as just, well, you know, nature happens, you know? Fighting happens, and sometimes things die. Like, there's, there's something, there's a deeper truth being communicated here. Like, that, that there's almost, we might use the language, and we'll see this in a quote later, of an eternal order that God kind of grounds and roots where um, our actions and what we do is, um, is, is, is a something deep and profound and even holy or a violation of the holy, right? Can you kind of feel the, I don't mean to be overly intense, but can you kind of feel the weightiness of the story, of those closing lines? Like, it's, you kind of almost get the feeling of God trying to communicate to Cain, like, look, Cain, this is holy ground. Like, this, this matters. Okay, so, so why am I naming all this? Um, I'm, I'm kind of, what I'm trying to get at tonight is I, I think that we kind of in the West, in the United States, um, we haven't really quite grasped um, all that is really at stake in either um, embracing belief and faith in God or in the rejecting of that notion, that reality. Like, we're all um, really kind of believer and unbeliever 
strikes me we're all just a little too chill. <laughs> and I mean, I'm all for, you know, being a relaxed person, whatever. I'm not saying you should be anxious and eaten up with, you know, oh my gosh, God is, oh, you know, okay. I'm not like saying freak out. But there's almost a kind of um, an unhealthy casualness to the whole thing. You know, it's almost like, um, I don't know, kind of our Christian faith, or even just, not even just, this isn't just true of Christianity, like just kind of religion in general, God in general, it's all sort of cash, you know, it's all kind of like, oh, it's like a hobby or something, you know, like, oh, that's, oh, that's nice, so oh, you're, you're a churchgoer, oh, good, good for you, that's good, that's good for you, you know, I'm not really a churchgoer, but, uh, you know, hey, it makes no difference, really, you know, like, we're all just, you know, good people, and there's, there's kind of a, it's almost like a, a hobby like, you know, some people are into these things and some people aren't. You know, it's like some people are into sailing, others into painting, others into praying. You know, it's like to each their own. It's a free country. Do what you want. You know, can you kind of, can you, are you picking up on the thing? Like, have you sensed some of this? Um, I mean, honestly, just to be completely candid, like, I think there's even a temptation for me to kind of get this way because it's just kind of in the waters of the culture. You know, it's sort of like, hey, um, whatever you think, that's nice for you, you know, but just, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. We, I just, there's something that we don't, we just don't get it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we've really thought this through. We're not quite tracking what is at stake. I want to give you an example. This is a quote from a very um, famous atheist, um, Richard Dawkins, uh, where I think this is a good example of like, Okay, Richard, I don't, you're just not quite tracking. Like, you're not quite getting what is at stake. He said, uh, he said this, We are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Uh, some of us just go one god further. Can you kind of see the logic there? Like, okay, so, hey, you're, you know, a Christian, or you're um, a Muslim, or what, like, oh, you already don't believe in, like, I don't know, whatever the number, you know, 999 gods. So, I'm just, you know, the only difference is I just do a thousand, you know? Like, what's the big deal? Like, you already don't believe, I don't believe, I mean, do we really believe, uh, so who cares? It just doesn't matter. Like, can you hear the kind of, I mean, sure, I guess, if you want to get all worked up and believe in God, or what, it's okay. But there's kind of a, it's like, mm, okay. No, he's not, he's not tracking. Because, because here's the thing, um, there, there is like I, for example, as a Christian, I have much more in common, way more in common with um, another person of faith or religious belief um, than I do someone of no faith and no belief and like no faith in God. Much more. So, for example, me, whether it's to um, uh, most, not the really the secularized kind of Western weird Buddhism, but most kind of Buddhism with its kind of understanding of like the absolute, like we've got a lot of resonance there. There's a sense of the beyond, the more, you know, like they're, it's their way of kind of talking about the sacred. And I resonate with that. I'm like, I'm tracking with you. I know what you're getting at, you know. I call it God, but that's cool. Like, but there's still, there's a, a sense of the more, you know. Um, or uh, I have a friend who's a Muslim. We can chat. We can talk. Of course, we have our theological differences and our images of God and such, you know. Um, and yeah, there's a certain resonance. Like, I'm like, yep, I'm tracking because there is this kind of a certain belief in God. There is this understanding of an eternal order. And, um, and, and even the notions of, you know, good and evil and all, like, we're all kind of tracking. But once you cross kind of this line of there is, like, I don't believe in it. It's sort of the one God more thing. Once you cross that line, all of a sudden, um, 
you start losing notions of the sacred and the holy and even your kind of basis for like good and evil. Uh, and that's why there starts to become really a world of difference between myself. And I have trouble even kind of communicating at a kind of philosophical, theological, moral level with folks who um, just have kind of let go of, of God. Um, here's a quote. This is kind of, he's, Richard Newhouse is not, com- he's not commenting on Richard Dawkins, but he's commenting kind of on the idea of what Dawkins is getting at, this idea of if God doesn't exist. So he's, a, I think, a Catholic philosopher. He says this, what happens, quote, if God does not exist, is that we are no longer able to see violence against others as somehow blasphemous. Think Cain and Abel. We're no longer able to see it as somehow blasphemous. An offense against an eternal order. We're no longer able to see our dealings with each other as opening on to a depth of interiority that we cannot fathom or exhaust. What does that mean? In that's kind of a strange, you know, interiority. Like what it means is sort of the holy, the sacred in you. Right? In that that this is where when I when I sin against you, I hurt you or someone hurts you or um, violates your, you as a person. Like, it's more than simply like, oh, well, I did something you didn't prefer. You know, like, well, Abel preferred that his brother not kill him. And, you know, it's like, no, no, no. It's more than just preferences or something. Like, this goes deep. I love his, even his word, blasphemous. There's, there's, because what's that kind of invoking? It's this idea of God and the sacred and the holiness of, I'm talking a lot about human beings, but really it's the whole, it's like all of creation. It's sort of alive with God, and that calls us up to something. And, um, uh, in other words, let me, let me kind of try to phrase this, um, a little more clearly. So, if, if God does not exist, then it no longer makes sense to look at people and see someone holy and sacred because there is no such thing as holy. If God does not exist, then it no longer makes sense to believe in the mystery and the profound depth of who people are as creatures made in the divine image because there is no divine and therefore no divine image. <laughs> if God does not exist, then when we lie or kill or wound people, It is no longer a violation of something sacred, of an eternal order. If God does not exist, then ultimately there's even nothing good or evil. It's just bits of matter bumping into others and impacting them. Cain is just one mindless animal killing another. That's some people called Abel. I think this, it seems to me, this is what Dawkins isn't tracking. That there's, there's just a world, there's a world of difference in letting go of that last understanding of God at all. Um, and again, just to be fair, I'm kind of picking on Dawkins a little, maybe too much. I, my, my point is really that um, even as people of faith, because you're thinking, well, we're not atheists, why are you, right? But I said earlier, it's, it's everyone, 
we're all, I think we all, believers, non-believers, Christians, non-Christians, like everyone's kind of in this, what Charles Taylor called a secular age. We're just kind of swimming in these waters, and the whole thing for us is just sort of casual, and like we just aren't quite grasping what is at stake. Um, one way I might put it is without God, um, there is no foundation for a belief in the sacredness of others and thus the very basis for goodness, for morality, and for love erodes. Which is to say that our very life, and ultimately, even if you could contend, our social order, like culture, starts to erode. Now, um, I can imagine, maybe more than a few of you are like, Brett, you are being very dramatic about this. This is not as big a deal. I know plenty of people who, like, don't believe in God, and they're, like, lovely people, you know? And uh, fair enough, no, no, like, I hear that. Um, and I'll tell you who actually um, really got me thinking in this way, because I, I came across his ideas um, when I was in my own deconstruction season. And honestly, when I was right on the edge of walking away from God and church and the whole thing, and I was reading, um, he's someone I've mentioned before, but it's the uh, German atheist Friedrich Nietzsche. And he was actually the one who showed this to me because he, um, he's a, he was a really thoughtful atheist. His solutions to these problems were terrifying and horrible. Don't go that road. Um, but he saw the problem. And what he noticed in the atheism of his day. Well, I'll read an example. This is, he has, tells this famous, um, I think I've read a little bit of this before, maybe two years ago, um, but it's the parable of the madman. Has anyone ever read Nietzsche's parable of the madman? No, just me? Oh, y'all gotta read it. It's amazing. You can find it on, um, online. But he, um, so the context, well, kind of Nietzsche probably is the madman in this little story he tells. So I'll just read a few sentences and I'll kind of unpack it. So he says this, Nietzsche writes, Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours and ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God, so notice the, this is the kind of fashionable atheism of his day he's writing, good, 150 years ago, so a lot of atheism. As many as those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? Asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? Asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage? Immigrated. Thus they yelled and laughed. And what he goes on to name is he basically is saying, this is now my own words, but I'm paraphrasing, like, you don't Get it. His, his language, he says, who gave us the power to wipe away the horizon? Who gave us the power to empty out the seas? He says, God is dead. You and I, we have killed him. And he's, now he doesn't mean, of course, literally God. He's, he's talking about like people are no longer believing. He's like, God has, has bled out under our knives and we are unworthy of this deed. And he goes on to articulate, he says, and this is why. Because what we don't understand is that once God goes, then our entire value and ethics system that's wrapped up in that theology and philosophy and story of God also goes right out the window. But what we do, 
he said it's, it's basically we kill God and then pretend that we can just go right on living the exact same values and ethics and, and just kind of keep going on our merry way as though it's like, oh, well, that doesn't matter. It's fine. And he's like, are you crazy? Like, you can't do that. This is um, what I've heard. He didn't use this language, but I've, I've heard this um, called Jesus smuggling. Anyone ever heard that term? This is, this, is, this is what I've noticed most folks do. Even when they deconstruct kind of God, Christian faith, it's like, oh, I'm just done with church. It's crazy. And I just can't do all this. And resurrection, I don't know. You know. I just can't do this. And we kind of move on. And what is Jesus smuggling? It's, it's where we, well, let me, give, let me read you a few examples. Um, these are ones I've seen people do on Facebook where they'll say something like, you know, I don't read the Bible anymore. Um, you know, it's just silly fantasies. And then... Um, they'll turn around and say, but I believe in the sacredness and dignity of every human person. Can you see what, here's, and here's what they're doing. It's Genesis chapter 1. It's the divine image, right? That's the origin. If you trace those ideas back, it's like they're talking about as the, the world as though there is still something sacred, as though there's still a more. Um, here's a, another one um, is... Um, uh, you know, there is no God, and then on Facebook later that day, they're like, healthcare is a human right. Now, what is this note? Rights? A right. If you track the, the notion of rights and human rights, again, it ties back in with Christianity, with Judaism, with the idea of the sacredness, the dignity of the human person. I mean, you go back to, like, Greek culture, Roman culture, there's no human rights, you, what are you talking? It's, but, but what is it? It's a story. A story about the sacredness, the holiness of people. Even someone who um, maybe isn't the smartest, isn't the most gifted, isn't at the top of the power hierarchy. Every person, right, has this certain dignity. What's, where is that coming from? This is what Nietzsche, this was his insight. That he said, those ideas are all coming from Christianity. This was basically his critique. Like, you atheists, like, you all think, like, I've left God behind. You're like, but you're living Christianity. Like, you're just, you're doing the Christian thing. It's so clear from the way you're living. You're like, yes, I just, I don't know, how do we put it? Um, Even, you know, the, the notion of, like, you know, we should all just be compassionate people and love our neighbor as ourselves, you know. Like, this is, again, can you see how it's all, like, it's Jesus. It's, I think, in other words, I, I don't think we've quite grasped just how deep our Christian roots go. Like, we don't even think of it as Christianity. It's just, what's true? Right? It's just because it goes so deep for us. Um, so I could imagine, you know, again, someone kind of pushing back, like, well, here's the thing, Brett, like, I'll just, I don't know about all the God stuff and all that, but I just want to follow Christian ethics, and I just want to, you know, kind of do that aspect of it, like, just love my neighbor as myself, and, you know, and I could say, well, my only pushback would be, okay, um, I mean, frankly, I'm glad you want to do that, um, that's good, you know, but the thing is, it is a little bit strange to, um, to, to kind of uh, almost chop down the tree of the, the stories and the faith that is feeding that way of life 
and then kind of demanding that the tree of that fruit feed and nourish you. Like it's kind of, I imagine a little bit like the analogy is like a, you've seen a cartoon character who's like sitting on a branch and they're like, right? And there's, and of course they're sawing the branch that they're sitting on, right? And then there's this moment where they cut through, but they don't fall yet because there's like a cartoon character. So they don't realize what they've done, right? And I think that's the picture. Like that's what Nietzsche's saying is happening. We're there and we've kind of sawed through the branch, but we don't realize what we've done. And so we're just kind of and we're like, this could work, this could work, right? And it's like, no, <laughs> not long term, which is kind of my, my second pushback would be, um, of course, it's true. Like, I have many people, many friends who don't believe. So if you take this as like some sort of rant against the horribleness of people who don't believe, it's, it's not, I'm not saying they're horrible, nothing like that. Like, they're some of my closest friends. Um, but I'm, I'm just naming that it's a little bit incoherent how they're living because they've cut themselves off from the story that infused all of that with life. And, and here's the thing, we could do that, right? Like we've been, many of you have been so formed in Christian faith and such that even if you walked out the doors and like never returned, like that, that ethics, those stories, like that stuff goes deep in you and you would probably just continue to live it, right? But here's the thing, your kids probably won't. Your grandkids probably won't. Certainly your great-grandkids, right? Why? Because we didn't realize the degree to which um, the whole tradition, like the immersion in that was holding us up, was sustaining that whole way of life. Does this, does this kind of make sense? Um, so I want to, the way I want to um, kind of close, and, and someone from the band can come on up. Um, maybe Josh, could you come up? Or someone, whoever, whoever can play. I just need a little music. Um, and um, what I want to kind of give us a little space to do is kind of reflect on a question. And uh, the question is this. Um, how kind of essential has God and Christian faith um, been to me in kind of this past season, and why? You know, maybe it's become increasingly important to you, and you, you'll notice you have a little, like, pen or pencil on your, on your seat um, and a piece of paper, so that's where you can do this exercise. And maybe it's become increasingly important to you, and you, I want you to take a little time to kind of reflect on why, why is that? What is, what is God doing in me? Um, uh, or perhaps you've been, you know, in that season of being super casual. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, I don't know, don't know if it really matters, you know? Um, and if so, I'd encourage you, or just invite you, um, to reflect um, on that. So, um, let me say a quick prayer, and then we'll give you some space for that. Lord Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I thank you um, for this space to reflect on hard questions. And, um, and, and I ask that, that you would just speak, that you would speak. Yeah, we love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.